Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, August 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the chair of the January 6th committee responds to the Department of Justice's search of Mar-a-Lago. Then the U.S. Department of Commerce visits the capital city with the goal of connecting businesses to global markets, plus creating an archive of the National Guard through oral histories. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's congressional delegation is responding to the FBI search of former President Trump's Florida home. Republicans are questioning the Department of Justice's motives. Representatives Michael Guest issued a formal letter requesting an immediate congressional hearing. And Stephen Palazzo characterized the act as blatant corruption. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith says the agencies involved risk further erosion of public trust and confidence. But chair of the January 6th Select Committee, Democrat Benny Thompson, tells MPB's Kobe Vance the search followed proper protocol. Well, I support the FBI's effort to find the facts and whatever they're looking for. Uh, Historically, uh, in this state, uh, they've always come in, done a good job. And so the men and the women of the FBI, we support. Congressman, that... During a lawsuit against Alex Jones, his uh, phone records were released uh, to their to the uh, for the plaintiff, for, yeah, and they released those to your committee. Uh, can you ex- what do you expect to look through those? Um, can you give us in a preview? Yeah, uh, we have uh, received copies of uh, Alex Jones's text messages and, and some other information, and we're in the process of reviewing it to see if there's a nexus to. Uh, what occurred on January 6th. So that review is still underway. Yesterday, a federal court ruled the House Ways and Means Committee could obtain Trump's tax returns. Trump promised to release the returns during the 2016 campaign, but later cited audits and other excuses for keeping them out of the public eye. Congressman Thompson concludes the former president must be trying to hide something. Nobody is is above the law. As you know, when we first started uh, back in 2016, uh, President Trump said he was going to make his taxes available to everybody, and all of a sudden he decided not to. So the only reason I can say 
uh, he must have something to hide. Uh, clearly, every other president uh, before him and after him uh, has released their taxes. Uh, so uh, if he has nothing to hide, uh, he should be just like every other president. Release your taxes. The opinion from the three-judge panel stated the 2019 request for the documents served a valid legal purpose and was not retaliatory in nature. Coming up, the U.S. Department of Commerce visits the capital city with the goal of connecting businesses to global markets. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The U.S. Department of Commerce is bringing a first-of-its-kind initiative to Jackson. Department officials say they are targeting underserved communities and connecting them with the resources needed to participate in a global market. Yaron Van Truman, Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Global Markets, visited with business owners at JSU's, or yes, that's JSU's e-center yesterday. He spoke with our Kobe Vance. What we're doing here today in particular is looking to expand that, commu- uh, that base of exporters by reaching communities that have historically not been users of the services that are available to them to help them export. So we're trying to reach underserved communities, uh, communities that have uh, minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, LGBTQ-owned businesses, businesses from rural America, making sure that we make sure that all of our companies around America are aware of the services that we have to offer and that we can help them access those services so that when they do, they are able to make sales overseas, make more money, and create more jobs here at home. And so what we're doing here in Mississippi is we're targeting uh, these underserved communities because we know Mississippi has a tremendous group of innovative and novel uh, companies that are producing great products and services that are already competitive here on the American market. And so when you're already competitive here in the American market, that's a great sign that you can uh, really do well overseas, and we want to help make them do that. Can you expand on those services you all do provide? What are some examples? Sure. So, for example, if you're an exporter that comes in, or if you're a company that comes in, you might not know if you want to export or you might not know how to take those first steps. We take a look at your business plan, and we will work with you to find a way to incorporate exporting into your existing business plan so that exporting isn't an afterthought but is, in fact, part and parcel of how you do business. We also help you take a look at what are the products and services that you offer and where are the markets in the world that are looking for those products and services. So what would be the markets that would be most fruitful for you to pursue? And then when we've done that... We help you identify potential customers in those markets, customers that are reliable companies that pay their bills, that have been vetted by us, so that you know that they're worthy of doing business with. And then we introduce 
a matchmaking session where we literally set you up on a matchmaking date with those potential customers to see if you can strike a deal. Can you talk about the process of a business that might be considering um, exporting their products or goods? What are some things that might be a sign of a good business that could expand in a global market? So a couple of signs are, first, you have to be interested in, in reaching those global markets. So that has to be uh, – that can be something brand new. You could be a brand new business that, that is looking to global markets or a business that's, that's long established. Either way, you're capable of reaching export markets. Then just taking a look at the products and services that you make. Are they of interest in a global market? And the reality is if you're a successful business or if you have a good product or good service – Undoubtedly, it is desirable by people outside of, uh, outside of the United States. So there's a market there already for you. The other thing is if you are, you know, for example, if you are from a, an, an immigrant or a diaspora community or a minority community, you may already have connections with your home country or uh, people overseas. Use those connections. You have an awareness and an understanding of how to work cross-culturally. Take advantage of that. Use your contacts and build those relationships just as you would uh, with a customer in the United States, and and that opens up doors overseas. Representatives from small minority-owned companies who have reached foreign markets were there. Adrian Jones owns and operates a business and was recognized for the work he's done reaching markets in Ghana. Our experience in exporting to foreign countries, we started in uh, Africa, and it was a project initiated by the U.S. government where we was uh, building an e-cargo tracking system. So it tracked all the goods to go through the country. And our experience been relatively smooth. It's just like working for the U.S. We are working for the U.S. Um, so y'all got the Export Achievement Certificate today. You know, can you tell us what went into um, getting earning that, you believe? Uh, we, that's the project that we built in Ghana. That we tracked all the goods. Well, we, we're tracking all the goods that come to the country. And uh, with the information provided by the system, we they put roles in there and stuff like that to try to ease up traffic bottlenecks in the country. Experts say now is a great time for Mississippi businesses to expand their markets as the rest of the world is coming out of the pandemic. Coming up, creating an archive of National Guard through oral histories. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places, lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the Trazillion other parents, you have fresh air, Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I had a UTI. I had a home test scan. It showed that I had one. Then I go to the doctor. It showed that I don't have one. So, Mary, UTIs or urinary tract infections, very common, uh, more common in women than men. And as you get older, it can be more and more of a, of a problem. But there are other things that can cause burning in the urine. You mentioned a home test to see if you've got a, a urinary tract infection. They do test for certain substances, 
that sometimes go along with a urinary tract in infection, but not always. It's not specific for that. So that's the reason why the home test said that you had an infection. But when you go to the doctor, they do uh, some more definitive testing that they'll look for white blood cells. They would look for actual bacteria in the urine. They would also put the urine in a culture medium, and that's to grow out the bacteria. And that's important uh, most of the time because we want to be very specific with the antibiotic that we prescribe to try to treat the infection. Your urine basically is made up of waste products that your body gets rid of and water. What you eat sometimes can sort of influence that. And most people sort of can trial and error, can sort of see what kind of things exacerbate it. Excessive amounts of vitamin C can do that. It mostly goes along with supplements rather than eating fruit, a lot of fruits. But it's possible that you're eating something that it's irritating the urethra and that's the, the opening that goes from the bladder to the outside of the body. So uh, drinking more water can be one of the things to help flush things out of your body a lot easier, and it can decrease the amount of burning that you, you can have. Sometimes medications that you take chronically for other problems can do that as well. So some medications are eliminated, the breakdown products in the urine, and sometimes people can have uh, what we call a urethritis, which is just an inflammation of the urethra. But those are the main causes of burning that aren't related to, uh, to an infection. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. It's time for the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. Visit the state capitol in Jackson from 9 to 5 p.m. and visit inside the rotunda on the first floor. The MPB Kids Club will be ready with Ed Said, PBS's Molly from Denali, plus activities and giveaways. Join Mississippi Public Broadcasting for adventure in both body and brain at the Mississippi Book Festival on Saturday, August 20th. More info at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Branches of the U.S. military keep and archive detailed records. There are histories of the Army and Navy. But historian Andrew Wiest, who specializes in the history of American troops, discovered no such standard exists for the National Guard. Wiest is University Distinguished Professor of History at the University of Southern Mississippi. He and Kevin Green, Director of the Center for Oral History and Cultural Heritage, are collecting oral histories from members of the Guard who served during the 21st century to better understand their experiences and create a resource for future historians. Wiest tells us how this project came to be and where it's going. Well, I'm a historian of men in combat. That's what I've written about most recently, um, specifically books about soldiers in combat in the Vietnam War and what it did to them and, uh, and of course, how they functioned in battle, who they were, you know, what their families were. And it 
dawned on me that I lived in an area with soldiers who'd recently gone through much the same thing. Uh, the because the, I'm I'm from Hattiesburg, I grew up here, and a number of my friends that I grew up with are in the National Guard, and they'd served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I felt that I wanted to tell the stories of my local veterans as opposed to search all over the country to find veterans from another war. I discovered that it was really difficult to do research into the National Guard. When you're researching the Army, the Navy, or the Marines, there's one place you can go, and the records are there. For the National Guard, they're spread out all over the country, and indeed, when you get into a state like Mississippi, they're spread out all over the state. Really? And so, Sure, so it began... um, really all began with me wanting to write a book and finding out how difficult it is to write about the guard. And that's why that's one of the reasons, perhaps the main reason that so few people do write about the national guard. There's so many hurdles in the way of getting to the materials. Are they locked up in different offices un- under different units? Well, it's just a, in many ways, a function of the national guard and, and what it is. The national guard is, in little armories all over the states and four territories in Washington, D.C. The the Guard is so much more a local entity than a national one. So at the national level for the Army, all all the records go to the same place. For the Guard, they're in little armories, whether it's Loosedale or Quitman or Meridian or, or you name it. State Guard does collect some stuff but it's different in each state. So the, the, the National Guard is a patchwork of archival collecting. And one of the things we had hoped to do was to um, go to the state of Mississippi and say, hey, we have a very strong military history program here at Southern Miss. We're, we're uh, called the Dale Center for the Study of War and Society. We routinely gather and codify archives. Well, how about we help you with this? And that's kind of where the whole idea came from. And when you say we, you're talking about uh, Kevin Green. Yes, uh, myself and Kevin Green are the are the uh, leads in the project. Uh, uh, Dr. Green uh, heads up our Center for Oral History and Cultural Heritage here at Southern Miss. And one of the things we realized about the National Guard was that with so many recent deployments, um, um, a lot of the history was going to be gathered in an oral history kind of way uh, with interviewing guards, men and women uh, all over the state. So we knew oral history had to be front and center in this from the very beginning. What did you find out? Because you did oral histories. Sure. Uh, what were you able what to ascertain? Was, what I found out was that although the Army and Marine histories, because the Mississippi National Guardsmen in 05 served under the Marines in Iraq. In the Army and Marine histories of the Iraq War and the war in Afghanistan, you just don't see the National Guard. But that being said, the National Guard comprised more than 46% of our troops that were sent to those theaters uh, in the global war on terror. So the National Guard did almost half the work. The National Guard suffered over 25% of the casualties. What I discovered in looking just at one unit, and there's so many units across so many states, 
what I discovered was that the unit I followed, the 150th in Iraq in 2005, served with great distinction. And these stories just aren't told. The story of the 150th isn't told. The story of the bigger unit in Mississippi, the 155th Armored Brigade, that's not told. And if you look all over the country, that means there's so many stories out there. It's an unplowed field when it comes to uh, to history, which is really actually something pretty rare to find. What stands out to you most about what you learned about these units? What stands out most to me about these units is that in the type of war we were fighting there called counterinsurgency, um, the National Guard is maybe the best suited units for that. National Guardsmen go to war with a different set of skills. Um, the, the Army goes to war with generally one set of skills. You're a soldier. You're a full-time soldier. That's what you do. National Guardsmen are also bankers and lawyers and doctors and construction workers and policemen and um, you name it. Um, So when they go to war, they have a really wide set of experiences to fall back on that that are really helpful when it comes to this type of war called counterinsurgency in which it's not all about just – trying to destroy enemy tanks. It's all about, it's much more about living and working with a local population. And since the National Guard is a local population in its own right, they're really good at it. This type of war is uniquely uh, suited for the National Guard. And so you and Kevin Green, you talked about what you're working on. Ultimately, you're working on a book about this. Yes, um, I'm, I'm still working on my book on the 150th. I hope to have it out in 2025, which will be the 20th anniversary of the deployment that the book is about. But it was through that book that we came to this much bigger project, this bigger project of helping the Guard get its documents together and launching a very large oral history program to enable other historians like me to look at other units, other men, other women, and what they did. Uh, we hope this starts a, a renaissance in the in the, the telling of the National Guard story because it, it just really simply can't be done. Uh, it can't be done without a National Guard archive, and that's that's our eventual goal here is to have a National Guard archive and collection of oral histories. So historians all over the country and even across the world come research uh, about these units and tell their stories. Andrew Wiest with the University of Southern Mississippi, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. And uh, this is going to be a really interesting History is Lunch. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to mention that again. Andrew Wiest and Kevin Green will talk about their project today at noon for Mississippi Department of Archives History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.